Hello everybody and welcome to our VLL broadcast for this Monday! Okay, I don't want to go too long with that, even though I could. Today I'm doing laundry, so I do apologize if there's a lot of laundry sounds in the background, but I will do my best to give you a quality recording in spite of that. Today, we're going to go ahead and answer a big, long email that I think is pretty important for how we understand the scriptures and their validity. So, our listener chimes in, dear VLP, I wanted to address a few things in this email in a bit of stream of consciousness for context. He says, I am a Christian agnostic. First off, I wanted to ask about the book of Daniel, specifically the 70 weeks prophecy. I have not been able to find a satisfactory time frame for the prophecy. I have read Jerome's commentary on Daniel and Gleason Archer's sections on Daniel in the survey of Old Testament and Encyclopedia of Bible Difficulties. I was pointed to Sir Robert Anderson's dates and I have an edition of The Coming Prince. I'm too lazy to read it. According to Reverend Clarence Larkin, Anderson's dates are incorrect anyway. Maybe Anderson corrected the dates in The Coming Prince, since Larkin references Daniel in The Critic's Den. So I was wondering if you have an airtight time frame for the 69 weeks. And he continues, Also, the destruction of Jerusalem is said to be prophesied, but A.D. 70 is outside the time frame of 69 weeks. Saying that there is a break in the weeks seems ad hoc to me. Would you say that if you were on the other side of the weeks and had only the text to go off of? As does the break between Antiochus IV and the Antichrist, or whoever the future king of North is. I admit that the time frame of the 70 weeks does preclude that prophecy from ending in the time of Antiochus IV, since that prophecy concludes with the end of the world, unless that is taken metaphorically. Still, it seems strange that the prophecy would shift from something very concrete to some future king of the north who will live thousands of years later and have nothing to do with the Seleucids. You and a pastor I know have both said the LXX, that is the Septuagint, proves the dating of Daniel. Yet the date of the translation of Daniel in the books besides the first five seems uncertain. Based on what this article says, and he gives us a link, it was perhaps translated in the 2nd century BC, which would post-date Antiochus IV, but I suppose that is still significant. I have held my belief suspended about the book of Daniel for about two years now. I would defend the Bible to others. I pray. I feel I am accountable to God in a very real way. I believe in a kind of suspended, reflexive way. I'm unsure. Sometimes I feel unsure who I pray to or why I pray. I don't know what to do in regards to all this. I feel condemned by the sin that has built the steps to where I am in my life. Could you do a podcast on the 70 weeks and other aspects of the second half of Daniel? I apologize for the format, but I wasn't going to write this in any other way. Well, my friend... Let me tell you, <laughs> we are no strangers to the stream of consciousness format here on The Very Lutheran Project. So you are in good company with a guy that likes to sit in front of his microphone and sometimes not have a script, just let himself talk. Trust me, it's not an ego thing. 
it's, hey, sometimes this is how you get your educated thoughts down and you're able to have a conversation with somebody. But that said, first and foremost, I want to establish the real reason that Daniel is canonical. We got to understand that the most important figure for the canonicity of any scripture at all is Jesus Christ. So opening up our Bibles here to Matthew chapter 24, beginning in the 15th verse. So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place, let the reader understand, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. What does our Lord Jesus say about Daniel? He says he was a prophet. Now, this is the same Jesus that died for my sins. This is the same Jesus that rose again for my justification. What he says goes, I am going to believe his words no matter what, because he is my Savior and he is my God. At the end of the day, no matter what the textual critics might say about Daniel, if Jesus says he's a prophet, then I am going to believe what Jesus says. Now, there is textual evidence for an early dating of Daniel. After all, we do want to be good scholars about these things, and it does help to have something of an understanding of when the text was written and when it was translated for the sake of understanding the prophecies there. But even if we never fully get an understanding of when exactly everything is supposed to take place, or what everything Daniel talks about, what he's getting at, really. Even if we don't know that, we do know that this is Bible, because our Lord Jesus puts his divine stamp of approval on it. So, right off the bat, I'm going to say this is Bible. And I'm also going to say that what we have in our Bibles regarding the book of Daniel is accurate. Our Lord Jesus does quote Daniel a good amount of times, even taking up the moniker Son of Man, which we find in Daniel chapter 7. He references the book of Daniel enough times that I can trust that what I have in my Bible matches up with the book of Daniel that our Lord Jesus is quoting. It's the same book. But the thing a lot of Christians will forget is that Jesus does a lot of the interpretive legwork for us regarding the prophecies in the book of Daniel. And we'll get to that, but first I wanted to bring up the Septuagint. The Septuagint, if it was translated in the second century BC, this is very, very, very important. Daniel lived, according to his book, from the exile, from Judah's last exile into Babylon, all the way into the Persian Empire. You know, the fall of Babylon and then Cyrus takes over. He was in that period, which means that from 586 BC to 539 BC, he was there. And then he lasted a while longer, too. They say that he probably died sometime in his 80s or 90s. God blessed him with a good long lifespan. That's important. If Daniel wrote this, then at the end of his life, you have maybe one or two scrolls. Then these get copied by people who are listening to him and following him. And then you have two copies of this single scroll 
out there in Persia. <laughs> out there in kind of like the middle of nowhere or in Susa somewhere. Maybe if you're lucky, it's out there in what's now called Persepolis. So let's just assume we have one scroll that Daniel wrote down as his memoirs as a prophet and relating the messages that God gave to him to relate to us, to God's people. That's one. Somebody had to go out and copy it, letter for letter, word for word. And then those copies have to be copied. You need some sort of manuscript tradition to get all the way over to Alexandria, Egypt. That is 1,917 miles. That's a lot of travel. That's a lot of people, one by one, including this in a scribal tradition. Eventually, you are going to get all the way over to Alexandria, but it takes a very long time. Is it possible that they had the autograph and they just carried it with them and then just held it somewhere near Jerusalem until then? Sure, but that's kind of unlikely. <laughs> Ezekiel mentions Daniel, so he was a known figure. So you got to think about it this way. The Septuagint demonstrates that there was a scribal tradition that covers that gap between Daniel's death sometime in the late 5th century BC and the translation of the Septuagint, that few hundred years. Again, that's okay. In fact, if anything, the book of Daniel probably inspired some of the people out there that wrote the apocryphal works in Judea later on, Daniel and Ezekiel both, maybe helping a little bit accidentally with uh, productions of works like First Enoch or Jubilees because Daniel brings us into a bit of the knowledge of angels and that sets people's imaginations on fire. Now that said, we do have to then, knowing that Daniel is scripture and that we can trust the manuscripts that we have, we can go over to the 70 weeks prophecy. Now this is where it gets tricky. Let's go ahead and just open up our Bibles here to Daniel chapter 9 and let's read it. From verse 24, 70 weeks are decreed about your people and your holy city to finish the transgression, to put an end to sin, and to atone for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and prophet, and to anoint a most holy place. Know therefore and understand that from the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem to the coming of an anointed one, a prince, there shall be seven weeks. Then for sixty-two weeks it shall be built again with squares and moat, but in a troubled time. And after the sixty-two weeks an anointed one shall be cut off and shall have nothing. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Its end shall come with a flood, and to the end there shall be war. Desolations are decreed. And he shall make a strong covenant with many for one week, and for half of the week he shall put an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wings of abomination shall come one who makes desolate, until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator. Now, typically, there's going to be a few different interpretations of this 70 weeks prophecy. There's the traditional messianic interpretation, uh, Jerusalem rebuilt between Cyrus's decree in 538 BC 
than Nehemiah's time in 445 BC that's completed, that's considered seven weeks. And then you have 62 weeks between Nehemiah and then the birth of Christ, uh, including the time in which Antiochus desecrates the temple. Then you have Christ's life, his birth, ministry, his crucifixion, and then resurrection, then Titus destroying the temple, and then Hadrian conquering Jerusalem, and that's all considered the last week. It's kind of silly when you look at that traditional interpretation of it. Then there's the typological messianic interpretation that some Lutheran theologians, who are pretty respectable, uh, Cleforth, Kiel, Leupold, they'll say, and this is from the Lutheran Study Bible, Okay, well, seven weeks between Cyrus's decree and then Christ's incarnation, birth, death, and resurrection, all the way out to AD 33. So that's all considered seven weeks. Then you have 62 weeks in which the temple is destroyed, the church as Jerusalem is restored and rebuilt through the gospel, preached in word and sacrament. And then you have uh, one week in which the Antichrist almost destroys the church, the gospel, and divine worship. But then at the end of that, Christ returns and he delivers us Christians, finally vanquishing Satan. Yes, there is an apocalyptic interpretation of this. And what do I mean by apocalyptic? I mean it is in the apocalyptic genre. Now, apocalypse isn't like normal prophecy. Normal prophecy says, point, time, this is what will happen. Apocalypse says, we are going to reveal broad swaths of time. In fact, in the book of Revelation, the very first chapter tells you it's all about the past, present, and future, not just the future. Daniel here is giving us quite the broad swath of time when he says this. Seventy weeks are decreed about your people and your holy city. Okay, there's 70 weeks. Okay, we'll get to that. But why? It says to finish the transgression, to put an end to sin, and to atone for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and profit, and to anoint a most holy place. This tells us that Daniel here is talking about atonement. He's talking about salvation, everlasting righteousness. He's not saying 70 weeks until something happens, just point time one event. Because by definition, what we know about the gospel is that it includes everlasting righteousness, not just an event. So we continue... Know, therefore, and understand that from the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem to the coming of an anointed one, a prince, there shall be seven weeks. Well, we might say, okay, the word and decree to build Jerusalem. Okay, well, that sounds a little bit like Cyrus telling the children of Judah, all right, go rebuild your temple, go ahead and rebuild your walls once the walls can finally be rebuilt, all the way out to the anointed one, this prince that shows up, uh, Jesus. Okay, well, that's seven weeks. But you look at the actual time dates, and even if it's a week of years, meaning seven years, well, 
that's not accurate to a calendar, is it? But what about the number seven? Now that's important. Let, let's keep going here. Let's follow this track here. Then for 62 weeks, it shall be built again with squares and moat, but in a troubled time. Okay, I can see historically that why, yes, Jerusalem was built and rebuilt and attacked and then rebuilt several times, and the entirety of the period that Jerusalem existed between Cyrus's decree and Christ's birth, it was a pretty troubled time. Okay, but then after the 62 weeks, an anointed one shall be cut off and shall have nothing. Well, okay, at the end of the 62 weeks, Christ is cut off. He is sacrificed for us on a cross, and for a little bit, he has nothing. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Its end shall come with a flood, and to the end there shall be war. Desolations are decreed, and he shall make a strong covenant with many for one week, and for half of the week he shall put an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abominations shall come one who makes desolate, the abomination of desolation, so to speak, until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator. Well, okay, after Christ died and rose again, he was, you know, he was cut off until his resurrection, uh, the people of the prince who is to come, well, they come in and they do, in fact, destroy the city and the sanctuary. And there is no more sacrifice. There is no more Old Testament religion. It is the Christian faith that persists. But if you look at this, it's not weeks of years, and it doesn't even really fit into the number 70. And if you say 70 times 7, you look up 490 years. Well, that does that really calculate all the way out to 70 AD when the temple is destroyed? Well, kind of. We don't exactly have the time frame of when the decree exactly took effect for the prophecy, whether it was 420 BC, which would be 490 years exactly before 70 AD when the Romans come in and wreck the temple. But since there's no guarantee that that's how it shakes out, it shouldn't be binding on us to think of it that way or for that exact year. So what's this really getting at? What's this all really about? Again, I'm going to point to that 24th verse as my interpretive control here. 70 weeks are decreed about your people. Okay, that says 70 weeks, sure. And your holy city to finish the transgression, to put an end to sin, and to atone for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and profit, and to anoint a most holy place. When we see eternal or everlasting righteousness. This is a broadband way of looking at the future. When we say anointing a most holy place, if that includes destroying the temple, I'm going to say that's not this earthly Jerusalem. That's the heavenly Jerusalem that points to my Lord Jesus who says, I go to prepare a place for you. So my answer, as unsatisfying as it's going to be for a lot of people, is that this is a symbolic number. 70 weeks is symbolic the same way the 1,000 years in Revelation chapter 20 is symbolic. We're both talking about apocalyptic literature when we go through Daniel and when we go through Revelation. 
So when we read 70 weeks, I believe it is wisest to read it as the same as the thousand years. It's a spectrum of time with a symbolic number. Seven is a number of completion. Ten is a number of magnification. So seven times ten is a magnified completion or pleroma. Just in the same way as the thousand years covers all the time in which the church lives under the already but not yet, where we are waiting for Christ's return. Ten times ten times ten, the magnification of time as an era. And there's all sorts of events that happen before Christ's final parousia, his return, his second advent. Just in the same way, there's a lot of stuff that happens during the 70 weeks here between Cyrus saying, all right, y'all can go ahead and build up your temple and your stuff again, and Christ saying, all right, I have died for your sins, I have risen again, and now it is time to end Jerusalem as we know it for the next 1900 years or so. I think it is that important. That's the important thing that we're looking at. People really, really do want to find the exact numbers, but I'm going to say that the exact numbers don't quite matter here. And I'm not alone in thinking that. If I read these uh, little blurbs of commentary from Luther, he says regarding verse 26 here, then after 62 weeks, he says, Christ shall be put to death. Here he shows what is to happen when these 69 weeks are up and Christ has begun his ministry, namely that Christ shall be crucified. And another theologian comments, Daniel testifies that when Christ comes and is slain, Jerusalem shall be destroyed and shall continue in desolation and the accomplishment of the things which are determined forever. So then Luther also mentions regarding the abomination of desolation, he says, the Romans under Emperor Caius Caligula placed an idol in the temple, as the angel says here in 927, as a sign that the temple and Judaism were to be at an end. Okay, God is speaking about an end here, an end of an era. Maybe not necessarily the same typological interpretation some Lutheran theologians have said regarding the entirety of the church era. That would establish something of an incestuous relationship between John's thousand years and Daniel's 70 weeks. I don't want to go necessarily that far, but I will say that this prophecy came true. And there is everlasting righteousness afforded to us by Christ. Does it have to fit into a, a neat little thing, a, a weeks of years and a pause here and an exact date there? I think that betrays the spirit of the text going about the era that Daniel is referring to, this period of time between the Testaments all the way leading up to Christ's crucifixion, resurrection, and then the destruction of the former ways, the old covenant entirely. And while there are disputations regarding dates and years and weeks and days and everything, we can't forget that Daniel here did accurately predict what would happen. That yes, Messiah would be cut off. Yes, there would be everlasting righteousness through the atonement work. Yes, Jerusalem would be destroyed. Yes, there would be an abomination of desolation. He accurately predicts all of this. So we need to hold on to that, first and foremost. If the dates seem off, 
it's because we're trying to find a physical interpretation of the years rather than just seeing how Daniel was right in the first place. And I think that's the most important thing to understand here. Is that going to satisfy somebody who wants to know exact dates and times? No. And I apologize if that's what you were honestly hoping for. But ultimately, I rejoice that Daniel correctly comforts us with the gospel here, saying this was a known thing, that this is what was going to happen to the Messiah. This is what was going to happen to atone for my iniquities, for your sins, for everything wrong that we've done, to the point that we understand this is what establishes our righteousness in Christ, in his righteousness. So I don't want your heart being troubled over a lot of the specifics that we would all have a very hard time with. Instead, I would encourage you that Christ died for your sins, and this prophecy shows it. That all of the guilt that you're hanging on to, God had a plan for hundreds and hundreds and thousands of years for your redemption. And he had you in mind for this. I think there's a great amount of comfort there that's more important than anything else that we could figure out here trying to understand the days. But that's just my take. I'd love it if you emailed me back. Maybe we can have a part two discussing this and see where it goes from there. All right, brother, you have a great day. I hope this is helpful for you. But if not, again, feel free to ask some other questions and maybe we can get into the details on that. Until then, the Lord bless you and keep you. Amen and amen.